Welcome to Growing a Greener Kenai. Larry Opperman here. I'm glad to be back with you folks. And boy, I'll have to tell you, the uh, Mother Nature hit us pretty good, uh, didn't she? Uh, with s- snow starting out this season, oh my goodness, I'll tell you. Uh, and the and the forecast, you know, what's really weird is the forecast for, for next week, Tuesday through Wednesday, Wednesday night, Thursday, is saying 35 to 45 with snow and rain likely. Now I'll tell you what, we get some rain on top of this junk, and I'll tell you, we're it's gonna be it's gonna be sporty out there. So uh, everybody be careful. It's 22 right now in Soldatna. And at my house we had, oh, let's see, tent, we've had about 19 inches of snow at my house, and I'm just off K Beach, uh, about a mile out of uh, from the Kenai River off K Beach. So uh, we've had some pretty good snow. And there's not much to do right now, folks. I've got my, I got everything in. My greenhouse is locked down. And if uh, some of you folks heard myself and David during the KDLL membership drive, we were talking about that a little bit back then, too. So I, I hope you were able to to listen to that. And I'd also like to thank a lot of our listeners who got uh, KDLL memberships and we had five new members to the Central Peninsula Garden Club come up for that. So that was really that was really fantastic. Uh, five new family members for their donation, and welcome to the Central Peninsula Garden Club. We are so happy to have you, and we will uh, look forward to you maybe being at one of our meetings. And I'll um, I'll get into that here in a little bit. So what do we got going on right now, folks? Not a lot. That's all I can say. You know, I did get an email uh, from someone who who basically said, and if you remember during the, the membership drive, I was talking about garlic a lot. And I got, my, I got my garlic in. But, you know, I got an email from someone who said, hey, I didn't get my garlic in. I've got my cloves. What What do you think I should do? Well, to me, there's a couple things to do, and I base one of the things on what uh, what an anchorage grower uh, was doing. They didn't get their garlic in either. Now, this is something you have to be real careful of. Now, I don't know about with all the snow we've had down here if this will work, but it could potentially be worth a try. If you didn't get your garlic in, you might try take first off wherever you plant your garlic, you can clear the snow down to to ground level. And use a seed starting mat or, you know, one of those big mats that, uh, that you can put in a doghouse, keep a dog warm, get, get, get the, the big mat. You want to get something that's waterproof and safe. You know, don't do this with an electric blanket or anything goofy like that. Use something that's very safe and put it on a ground fault interrupter out, outlet in case there's a problem. But what this one Anchorage grower did, she actually laid down her seed starting mats, and then she put blankets, because the ground was starting to freeze, she put some old blankets on top of them, turned it on for a little while, and it thawed the ground underneath, and she was able to get her garlic in. It might be a little late for that. We've had some cold weather. The I think the only chance you might have is with all this snow we've had, it may have insulated the ground pretty well, and this may work for you. Uh, like I said, but safety is the key here if you would want to give this a try. So, uh, But if you do, be extra careful doing it. 
Be sure you use something that's waterproof. Don't use, like I said, an electric blanket or a, anything that's not designed for waterproof out in the weather. So anyway, that's what she did, and she got her garlic in, and uh, we'll just have to we'll just have to wait and see if it works. Now, the next thing you might be able to do is if you've got all your cloves that are ready, that you got them and you didn't get them in, you might try keeping them in a cool, dark place. Don't do anything with them, and then oh, I don't know, maybe in uh, January, put them in the fridge in the crisper box and let them get cold and that can potentially trick the cloves into that vernalization you know those items that need to go through cold weather before they're going to sprout well and that's one of the things people when you when you buy garlic at the store people will put them in their crisper box and then all of a sudden they look down there and everything's starting to sprout well you have fooled the cloves into thinking that oh hey i went through a winter i went through vernalization it's time for me to start sprouting so don't do this until you're ready to, to plant. Then what you can try doing is planting them in containers. And I, I actually watched a video of some guy who, who did this with his. And then he set the clove, the whole clove. He didn't break the, the, the cloves off the main bulb. He set them down in a little thing of water, almost like you would... Uh, like you would suspend your sweet potato or a a uh, avocado seed, and he let the roots go down into that water. In the he did this in the spring after he vernalized them in the fridge, and then he planted them. They started sprouting, and then he went ahead and planted them outdoors. Now I haven't seen the result of that yet, but to me that would be the easiest thing to do. Uh, if you, in fact, did not get them in the ground, you know, so it's, uh, but it's worth a try, you know, that's, it's always worth a try. So, well, once again, thanks for uh, listening to Growing a Greener Kenai. If you've, uh, if you got uh, anything to say or want to talk gardening, I'm at uh, 907-283-8414 or Growing a Greener Kenai at kdll.org. I'm happy to be back here. You know, now through the winter, we're only going to be doing once a month shows the first Saturday of the month and as we get back into the growing season in May then we'll go back to twice a month and we're uh, we're looking forward uh, you know I don't know about you but I'm, I'm already looking forward to spring and uh, and getting going again uh, it's it just seems like it went so fast this year so so fast so what other announcements do we have to make real quick here? Well, one I want to make for you uh, doesn't necessarily relate to gardening, but, you know, tonight uh, at 2 o'clock in the morning, which is tomorrow morning, we go off daylight savings time. So it's remember, it's spring forward, fall back. So don't forget tonight before you go to bed. If you go to bed at 11, set your clock back to 10, and uh, everybody's going to get an extra hour of sleep. Of course, I'm retired. I get as much sleep as I want to get. So, uh, so that's uh, that's tonight, folks. So we're finally off daylight savings time. Don't forget. And then another one uh, tomorrow, November sixth, is Nacho Day. That's right, Nacho Day. So uh, the only thing I can think about that is some of you folks probably grew your own cilantro, some of your own onions. You might have some of that preserved. And uh, that would be perfect to use some of your garden produce to make some different nacho recipes. Uh, 
I mean, you can't beat nachos, little cheese, little cilantro, little little onion tops, and that stuff. So that's pretty cool. So uh, so anyway, tomorrow is Nacho Day. And then one other thing that's coming up uh, here this next weekend is the anchor up in Anchorage is a uh, the annual Alaska Agriculture Annual Convention. It's November 11th through the 13th at the Egan Center in Anchorage, and oh, it's uh, it's uh, the organizers, the Alaska Farmers Market Association, Alaska Food Policy Council, Agribility, FFA, 4-H. But you can go to their you can go to their uh, their website uh, for the site, and it's at a l a s k a f b dot o r g. Uh, Alaska Farm Bureau, alaskafb.org, and you can check out the schedule. You can check out the seminars. You can check out the everything they're doing there. But the actual convention schedule, uh, starting at 9 a.m. in the morning, and uh, our own uh, Dr. Uh, Casey Matney from the Extension Center down here will be uh, the welcoming remarks. And, for instance, on day one... Uh, there's going to be a program on potato scab, controlling potato scab, uh, peony health, Alaska food system resilience update. Uh, they're going to be studying bo- uh, botrytis results, uh, propagating herbaceous and uh, intersectional uh, peonies. You know, there's all there's all sorts of stuff. That's just on Friday. Then on Saturday. Uh, Birthing and caring for young animals on the farms, uh, the future of 4-H, all sorts of good stuff. Uh, managing risks through the federal assistance programs, irrigation, and uh, that's Saturday. And then getting into Sunday, uh, certified re- weed-free straw in Alaska. The different programs, Alaska Slug Watch, how to how to deal with with slugs. Uh, you know, so all sorts of good stuff. But anyway, that is coming up the 11th through the 13th. And as I said, go to their their site, alaskafb, A-L-A-S-K-A-F-B dot O-R-G, and you can check it out and uh, see if by any chance you might want to go to the convention. So uh, then uh, one other thing I wanted to, to mention to you folks that, that I do, and even though we've got snow on the ground... You know, what I've been doing over the last couple of years, you know, we've talked about compost, we've talked about gardening in every which way we can. Now, getting into winter, there's not a lot to talk about, but there's there's always something new to learn. And what I did over the last couple of years is I called, you know, with all the beetle kill we've had, the, some of the tree clearing companies, they've got stuff. You know they're just looking for places to get rid of it. Well, one of the one of the companies, and I'll go ahead and say who it is, is Carlos's Tree Service. They typically chip everything up, and it chips into the back of a giant truck. Well, I contacted them a couple years ago, and other people have done this too. But wherever they're working, if you will call and give them your name and address, 
If they're in your area and they've got a truckload of chipped wood, they'll they'll dump it at your property for you. Now this time of year with the snow, it might be a problem. I'm I'm lucky. I've got a spot where they could just come right in and dump it. Well, a couple of years ago, I've had a couple of loads dumped over the years and used some of it. Well, this year I got and I've you know I, I've said before I'm I'm kind of lucky in the fact I've got a tractor, a small tractor with a little front loader on it. But I've been mixing those up the last couple years, and I'll tell you, those piles have turned into the best compost, and I've done nothing to them. I'll tell you, they are absolutely fantastic. I I mixed one up this year, and I started using it to spread uh, in my garden and in some of my areas, this, this wood chip compost. It has turned nice and dark. It is it is beautiful, beautiful stuff. So what I've did, done with it is this year uh, in the fall, I uh, you know I've told you folks before I plant my potatoes in containers. Well, I last year I spread a bunch of that wood chip compost on the ground, and I set my potato containers, my big totes with holes in the bottom of them for for drainage, on top of that wood compost well i I was reading about this and the reason why i did that is the root system of the potato will work their way through those holes and that mulch that wood wooden chip compost holds moisture it continues to feed the plant and the nutrients in there feed your potato plants well I had one of the best potato harvests this year than I've ever had. I used to grow my potatoes on a on a pallet because they were easy to move around with my tractor. But I'll tell you, this year that absolutely and I and I I figured this out. I watched a video of some uh, guy in Europe that grows potatoes in containers, and this is what he did. He made sure that his potato containers with the holes in the bottom for drainage. We're sitting in some good stuff that the potato roots could go down into and grab moisture and grab nutrients. Well, I'll tell you what, as I said, one of the, the very best potato crop I've had in a long time. So I took a little bit of that and spread it out uh, this fall over the same location where I'm going to set my my potato containers in the spring. And then even in the spring, I might even put another little layer down and make sure that uh, it's all there ready to go and i'm looking forward already to giving that a try again so that worked pretty good but but yeah if you want to uh, and there's a couple of companies that uh, some companies will chip them some of them will haul away the uh, oh they'll haul away the trees in a in a bunch and go dump them somewhere but the guys that chip them, if you can find them and they're they're close because they they'd rather dump their truck uh, of chips close to to somewhere else instead of paying or paying to dump them somewhere or their storage yard depending on where they're putting them gets full of full of chips so you know it's worth a it's worth a shot but anyway that's what i do i'm on their list again and i don't even care if i get them in the winter time i'll be more than happy to take a load of chips you hear that daryl Give me another load of chips, buddy. If, if you get the chance or you're in my neighborhood. So uh, Daryl, a friend of mine, he works for uh, Carlos. And uh, those, guys are, those guys are great. So anyway, that's a, that's a thought uh, to continue to build. And if you've got space, just get you a pile of chips and let them go for a couple of years. And you'll have some wonderful, wonderful compost. 
Okay, so what else is going on? One of the things I'd really like to let folks know, and I'm looking forward to this, is coming up in February, the 15th through the 19th, in 2023 at Seattle is the Northwest Flower and Garden Festival. Now, I'll tell you, folks, if you have never been to this, uh, my wife and I have been twice. And we're going to go again this year. I don't think you need to necessarily go every year, but every three years or so, they did. I think they, they canceled it one year during COVID, and we didn't get to go. Uh, but it's been about three to four years now since we, well, we're going to go to this. February 15th through the 19th at the Seattle Convention Center. And I'll tell you what, you will be amazed if you get down to this show. They have anything and everything garden-related at this show. And if you want to check out their website, it's very simple. It's just gardenshow.com, gardenshow.com, and it'll take you right to their, right to their page, uh, the uh, my wife and I we get the two day tickets. Uh, it, like I said, it lasts for five days, but we don't feel the need to go every day. So what we do is we get uh, tickets that are for any two days of the show, and uh, we stay at a hotel that's literally a block, block and a half from the convention center. We don't rent a car because uh, it. Uh, gosh, they want to, they want more money to park the car than they do to rent the car. So we just take shuttle downtown and we just hang out downtown for the time we're going to be there. You walk over, you can go see some things. It's so overwhelming that it's, it's almost impossible to see it all in a day. It is just incredible what they do there. They have garden sets up. They have, oh, they have these these gardens that they set up that these local companies come and they set up and they bring in literally boulders the size of a car a pickup truck with this heavy equipment they've got flowers out the wazoo they've got vendors they'll have like 350 vendors are on the list this year and if you want to find a rhizome a bulb of basically about any plant, it'll be at this garden show. So anyway, uh, it, it's great. They've got uh, uh, the website has a site that's called Plan Your Visit. The show features, uh, the gardens themselves, bunch a bunch of seminars. Every day, all day is seminars where you can look at that schedule. And the seminars are free. You get pay your tickets to get in. And it's it's free to go to all the seminars. They've if you can think if you can about think of a seminar, they're going to have it there. But the tickets aren't real bad. They are uh, oh oh you know they're uh, a two day pass per person is thirty eight dollars, and I think that's I don't think that's too bad really. Uh, if you do it at the gate, I mean it's. $26 if you go that day. So if you want to go two days, that'd be $52. So the best way is to get you a two-day pass for $38. You can buy it online. And uh, and then what we you can go in and out that same day uh, as many times as you want. And like I said, what we do is uh, we stay close. 
and we walk over, we do some, and then you get a little bit tired, you go to lunch, go back to your hotel room, maybe take a nap, do something else, and then go back to the show again a little bit later that day. And I, you know, like I said, it is, it's just amazing. Uh, they have, they put running creeks, they bring in soil. Uh, yeah, there'll be, there'll be streams running through the place, flowers like you can't believe. And it's amazing what they can do. They give them 72 hours to set up, uh, in the, in the center and it will, it will absolutely amaze you. Now I checked, uh, you know, and it's not like this is going to be super cheap to do, but you can do it for a fairly reasonable good deal. And that is by checking, getting plane tickets. Now we've got our plane tickets and you can go right now. I checked Alaska Airlines, uh, depending on what seats are available, depending on when you wanted to go during that five days. But round trip, a uh, super saver fare was only about $266 a person. So uh, the hotels all have a deal around the area. We're actually going to stay at the Hilton that's just around the corner from the convention center. It's about a block and a half walk or so. And if I remember correct, they were 119 a night. You know, so that's that's not too bad. Uh, it's a, It's a nice hotel. And like I said, it, it's walking distance, and uh, you can you can stay for a little bit. Oh, it's one hundred twenty nine dollars a night. I just double checked the oh the Grand Hyatt's one sixty nine, the Sheraton's one seventy nine, and the Hilton's nice, you know. But but it's but it's really nice because uh, you can walk. You don't have to mess with a car or anything. And everything you need is in the area downtown. I know a lot of you folks have been to Seattle before, but I'll tell you what, if you haven't done this, it is absolutely worth going to. We love it. And I'm hoping, uh, for lucky, uh, uh, you guys have heard before on the air with me, my friend, David, um, Riggle, uh, he might try to get down there for a day or two, and uh, we'll run around with him and go to the show with him. And the thing that would be neat about having David down there is David's profession over his life was landscape architect. So he's been to a bunch of these shows already, and he he knows what they're about and the things to look for and the things to, uh, uh, to help uh, have a professional explain it to you. So anyway, give it a thought. If you think you want to do it, uh, you, you ought to check now, mainly you ought to check now uh, just for a decent airfare. But uh, when you go to their website and you go to that plan your visit, then you can go down to what's called the hotel deals. And that's where you, that's where you do the link through to get the deals that they're giving the, the Flower and Garden Show. And everything I've read about this show, and like I said, this will be our third time going. It is the second largest flower and garden show in the United States next to the show they have in Philadelphia. And I think, uh, in years past, they have gotten them really pretty close together. And some of the vendors a couple of years ago, uh, they were upset because they were having the show in Seattle and then, they were doing the show in Philadelphia the very next week, and a lot of the vendors weren't going to be able to go. So this year, though, that Philadelphia show 
it's uh, it's not until March 4th and 12th, so they've got them spread out a little bit. Uh, I'd love to go to that Philadelphia show one of these days, but I don't know if I want to travel that far. So anyway, but uh, I'll say it again, folks. If you haven't been to the Seattle Northwest Flower and Garden Festival of Garden Show, it's worth doing. Gardenshow.com. Give them a look-see and uh, see if you like it. So uh, so uh, we, uh, you can think about doing that. One of the other things you can start doing this time of year, and we'll talk about this a little bit more, and this is one of the things I'm going to talk about too on our next show the first Saturday in December, and that is for the well-stocked-up gardener, what would be great Christmas presents for the gardening friends, a gardening family in your life. So we're going to talk about that uh, in the December show, and uh, you folks can have some ideas of uh, what you might want, what you need. Uh, I don't know about you, but I I love gardening tools, equipment, something new. That's another thing the Flower and Garden Show in Seattle, they will have every unique tool that you have ever seen. It's all It'll all be there. It will all be there. So, uh, so think about think about that one. And then one of the other things I want to remind everybody of is the Central Peninsula Garden Club monthly meetings, and those monthly meetings are back on again. We're doing those monthly meetings, and our next one will be November eighth, which is I know you guys know is election day and uh i'll tell you what i'm uh i'm not exactly going to talk about politics i'm so sick of it as much as you are but uh after election day uh all that crap will be be done for us you know uh there's good information out there but anyway uh coming up on the 8th seven o'clock at college heights baptist church we will be having our garden show and we we love to have you there, it is free and open to the public. You do not have to be a member of the Garden Show. And this coming this coming uh, uh, week, we've got the a lady from Fairbanks who is going to talk about container growing, uh, vertical growing. Uh, I, and I and I have to tell you, I apologize. I just lost her name from the top of my head, but she will be here, and she will be uh, having a having a great uh, a great show for us, especially for the folks that like to grow things indoors, and and you might need a little help. She's going to tell us the. Uh, uh, oh, here we go. I got it. I got her name here. Uh, Dr. Miriam Carlson. She's a professor of horticulture, horticulture at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. She'll be talking about indoor and vertical garden. She'll talk about light and temperature conditions, the water and nutrient requirements, types of crops to grow, and potential challenges that may arise while you're growing stuff indoors. So it promises to be a really great program. We're looking forward to having her down here, and we'd love to have you there, too. Uh, This is going to be a good one. So, again, that's uh, November 8th, 7 o'clock at College Heights Baptist Church. It's about, uh, oh, College Heights is back towards Soldatna, for any of you folks that might not know. 
uh, about three quarters of a mile back from the K Beach Poppy Lane intersection, uh, across the kind of across the street from the Franz Bakery, from the Door and Window Company in that area over there, uh, on the on the uh, other side of the road. So we'd love to see you, and uh, it's uh, we've uh, we've been having a lot of fun. Our last program was Debbie Henchy. Uh, she came down from Anchorage and talked to us about pruning and grafting trees, and put on an absolute excellent show excellent show so so we'd love to see you there uh come on down learn a little bit about container and indoor vertical growing and that well one of the things i wanted to talk about here uh in this second half of the show is seeds and what i'm doing and i don't i don't know about you know everybody's got their way they kind of like to do this but i've been watching out for different things to grow up here now i know you know we don't want to try to reinvent the wheel in in uh, in what we grow up here but it's always fun to experiment a little bit you can go with some of the tried and true things uh you know and like i said if you're new to gardening grow the easy things grow the things your family might like to eat and as i've said before if you hate broccoli, if your family hates broccoli, don't grow broccoli. You know, that's, uh, and, I, and I've mentioned this before too, you remember back when uh, Bush 42, George uh, Herbert Walker Bush was president and they, the press was giving him trouble about he, he wouldn't eat broccoli and he, and he finally snapped one day and he said, I don't like broccoli, I'm the president of the United States, I don't have to eat broccoli and I'm not going to eat broccoli. So I've always thought that was just hilarious because uh, he was right. He's like, I don't like it. I'm not going to eat it. So anyway, there again, don't grow things that nobody in your family likes to eat. So, uh, but, but there again, like I said, if you're new to gardening, grow the things that are easy. Some lettuce, some carrots, you know, some potatoes. Potatoes are pretty easy. Grow those things that are easy. But what I've been doing is, oh, I, I, I like a lot of folks do. I look around a little bit, and I might watch a gardening show on YouTube. I might watch a show here, might watch a show there, and it gives me an idea for what I might want to plant. So, because uh, I'm getting a little older and I can't remember very well, I've got the notes section in my on my phone. I will put that particular plant down on my notes for what to try next season so for instance right now uh one of our garden club members grew a vining bean called Fortex. well we were uh i was looking at that and how those grow uh they grow up that you can trellis them and i'm going to give those a try this year in my greenhouse and we'll see those go uh one of our garden club members i believe it's uh marcia kardatsky uh, I think it's Marcia. She grows a variety of peas called Easy Peasy Peas. Well, I've never grown those, and she seems to have such good luck with them. I'm going to give those a try this year. Back, I watch a YouTube channel of some folks back in Pennsylvania that grow a variety of corn called Montauk, M-O-N-T-A-U-K. And I'm going to try that in my greenhouse this year. In the section of my greenhouse where I typically grow indeterminate tomatoes i'm looking at not growing any indeterminate tomatoes this year and growing all determinate 
all determinate bush type tomatoes. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take I'm going to take the supports out for my indeterminates. And in that little section of my greenhouse, I'm going to try some Montauk corn. They will get one to two ears on them. They only get maybe five to six feet tall. Now, this is in Pennsylvania. I don't know how they're going to do here, but I'm going to give them a try here and see how they do. Uh, these guys in Pennsylvania that I watch, uh, in fact, I'll, I'll tell you the name of the of the site I watch in Utah is called The Veggie Boys. And they are, they farm for a living, uh, raise animals, and they farm, uh, they farm vegetables. And I'm going to try Montauk corn in my greenhouse this year and see how that does. Uh, a couple of new potatoes I'm going to try and I know one of them that uh, uh, folks have grown up here but I'm going to try a, a, a variety three different varieties called Eva Chieftain and Norwis I don't know if I'll make those my primer but I'm going to do a couple if I can if I can get the seed potatoes for those I'm going to try a couple of experimental containers to see how well they do I'll put them out with my regular ones and, and we'll go there uh, then I'd like to try an Italianelle pepper uh, it's a long, long, skinny pepper, and a cabbage is called Cabot cabbage, and uh, they apparently get pretty good size, and those ought to be good. And then uh, some of the, one of the cabbages that I know folks grow up here uh, that's pretty common that I, I've never tried those, I'm going to grow some Napa cabbage this year, and then I want to grow some of that rainbow Swiss chard, and I think, uh, I think that'll be cool. But yeah, that's one of the things uh, through the winter, I sit there and I'll just be watching something and it'll pop something in my head. Well, like I said, I immediately go to the notes section of my phone and I'll put that down for a variety. And then I'll and then I'll kind of research a little bit to see if it will or won't even do well up here. Uh, so anyway, that's how I do it. And uh, maybe you folks do, too. But coming up, uh, coming up uh, in the January show, I think we're going to be winding up. We're going to start talking about ordering your seed catalogs, really planning your garden, uh, getting some seeds ordered. Uh, sometimes you might need to get them ordered sooner than later. Uh, I, I actually order, I've got some seeds, whether, whether it makes a difference or not. I've got a couple of companies in the United Kingdom that I order from. One's called Foster's and one's called Medwins, M-E-D-W-Y-N-S. And I, I get some seeds from them. And uh, so far I've had, I've had good luck. So, uh, so anyway, one of the other things uh, we've been talking about this winter is, uh, has everyone got their little micro tomatoes going? Uh, orange hat or uh, orange hat, uh, micro tom and orange hat. Uh, little little tomato in the dead of winter, you can go in and squeeze that tomato leaf and get a smell of fresh tomato plant. I mean, that is some, that is relaxing to me. I love doing that. So, uh, well, let's see here. Uh, oh, I got a, I got an email. Uh, one of the ladies uh, said she loves the Seattle Garden Show and wanted to mention that the rail system in Seattle goes straight from the airport to downtown, so you don't have to rent a car. Uh, so uh, thank uh, that's uh, from Diane, and thank you, Diane. I appreciate that comment, and uh, and uh, boy, maybe we'll we'll see you down there. But it is uh, Diane. It's a great show, isn't it, Diane? It's a it's a great show, and thanks for listening. We certainly do appreciate it, and uh, I have fun have fun doing it. 
So uh, we're getting down to about the last 15 minutes of show. And one of the things uh, that I also wanted to talk about, like I said before, is seeds. And for me, seeds are, well, obviously, we've all got to have seeds to get our plants to grow. But some of you folks may or may not know that a lot of seeds are protected in a place there are what are called throughout the world uh, seed vaults. Now, the, the most famous seed vault is in Svalbard, Norway. It is actually uh, eight, about eight, it's on, out on an island. It's actually about 800 miles north of the Arctic Circle, north of Scandinavia. And Utkiavik is about 300 miles north of the Arctic Circle. So this is 500 miles farther north. It is a seed vault, and worldwide, there are something like 1,700 gene, they call them gene banks, that holds collections of food crops for safekeeping. And the, one of the reasons they do this is certain plants, as you're aware, they can become extinct. Well, what these seed vaults try to do and like I said, Svalbard, and I'll spell that for you. It's S-V-A-L, excuse me, B-A-R-D, Global Seed Vault. And it is actually built into the island, into the side of a mountain. It's down in permafrost. And what they do, some seed, uh, seed varieties, uh, they are exposed to natural catastrophes. They're exposed in war uh, and and, uh, but also avoidable disasters, lack of funding or poor management, and you know something as mundane as a poorly functioning freezer can ruin an entire collection of seeds. So the way they look at this is the loss of a crop variety, it's as irreversible as the extinction of a dinosaur. We're not, the dinosaurs are gone. There are certain plants that once they're gone, they're gone. You know, so what these seed vaults do is they store duplicates, the backups of seed samples from around the world as a safeguard against, you know, a, a catastrophic loss. So what they do, and like I said, some of you folks, you, maybe you've seen the entrance to the Svalbard seed vault. It's, it's a weird-looking, futuristic, concrete sloped monolith that goes down it goes deep into the side of a mountain and like i said they store these seeds at minus 18 celsius which is basically zero degrees fahrenheit there are rules for how they're packaged they usually have about 500 seeds of a particular variety and right now they've got about 1.9 or i'm sorry 1.2 million seed varieties from almost every country in the world with room for millions of more. And like I said, its purpose is to back up gene bank collections to secure the foundation of future food supply on a if, in case there's a catastrophic accident. So they actually have the capacity to store 4.5 million varieties of crops. Each packet has about 500 seeds. So... A maximum of 2.5 billion seeds can be stored in the seed vault. 
so they're they're approaching 1.2 seed varieties and they range they're really unique varieties from africa asia uh you name it some of the food staples like corn rice wheat cowpeas sorghum uh to to South American variety, you know, eggplant, lettuce, barley, potato. In fact, the the Svalbard seed holds the most diverse collection of food crop seeds in the world. So, you know, it's a it it is an amazing facility. And in fact, one of the real neat things about, it, and I think it was this year, uh, the Cherokee Nation in the United States. They banked nine different types of seed to, they were the first U.S.-based tribe to safeguard culturally significant crops for their future generations. So uh, they're, they're, they're saving uh, what's called turkey gizzard black and brown beans, squash, three varieties of corn, uh, you know, so... They are they are saving. They're keeping their culture alive by actually putting these seeds in the Svalbard seed seed vault, and it's really amazing to me. I'd love to. I, I don't know what there is to see really, but it's just so unique, and it's cool. And like I said, check out uh, yeah, check out their website. Just type in S V A L B A R D and uh, in your browser, and it'll come up. And it's. Uh, it's one of the things that, that we're trying to, the world is trying to protect, absolutely protect the seed vaults, uh, the, what we've got to grow. Because like I said, once they're gone, they are gone. And what's cool about it is the government of Norway, they actually uh, did this for free. The facility, they started, the facility uh, opened up, they started building it in 2006, and they, oh man, they they got it constructed. Uh, one of their problems, one of the things they're worried about more than anything is climate change. Uh, they want to be sure that, that uh, our seed stocks are saved. And one of the things, too, that uh, kind of as a little sidebar on this is I watched, I don't know if you, if, if any of you folks actually have watched him, but there's, a, there's another gardening site I got, uh, from Michigan. The guy's it's called M.I. Gardener. His name's Luke. And he actually did a, a web search. I think he found, probably found it on eBay or online somewhere. And he bought some, he bought some uh, tomato seeds that hadn't been sold for a hundred years and he he bought a packet of tomato seeds that were oh a good hundred years old and they had seeds in them still so what he did was he started them and i think he had about a 30 percent germination rate so then and i'd have to look up the variety but it was obviously an heirloom type of tomato i'd have to look it up so, but what he did then is he got about a 30% germination and then he got those to go. Then he saved the seeds from those tomatoes. And now, like I said, I have to look, I think he's actually selling these seeds on his site now, MI Gardener. 
but that's one of the things. And, and I'll tell you, I've been looking for some of those just as an experiment to give it a try. Uh, but I haven't been, uh, I haven't been successful in, in finding, in finding them yet, you know? So, uh, so anyway, uh, that's, uh, that that I think it would be something that would be fun to do. So anyway, but this fall bard, uh, everybody who puts a seed in there, there's a process for it on how they're packaged, how they're stored. But the neat thing about it is whoever deposits those seeds are the owners of those seeds. They will not give those seeds to anybody else. And one of the things they did, I'd have to look at the variety again because I can't I can't remember the variety but the civil war in Syria they wound up destroying some of their seeds during their war so what they did was they had they had deposited some of their seeds at Svalbard and they actually had to go back to Svalbard and get some of their seeds because everywhere that they were planting these these crops, they destroyed everything. So by the fact that they had some of these seeds in Svalbard, they were able to get there, go back and get the seeds and propagate them again and then rebuild their stock, get their crops going again and rebuild their rebuild their crops again, which is really pretty cool. But it's a... You know, you hate to say it, but it's more of an Armageddon-type thing. But yeah, check out Svalbard. Uh, the depositors, uh, like I said, they own the seeds. And it's just so unique. It's, it's like I say, when you see the pictures of it, and they've used this in a couple of movies, uh, it's, but it's just, like I said, a concrete monolith. It overlooks uh, uh, the ocean, the small village of Svalbard down there. And... Uh, if uh, if I remember reading correct, this is the Svalbard is the farthest place north in the world that you can actually fly to a with a runway <laughs> and land uh, there in there in Svalbard. So uh, just to just to give you a little a little uh, history of how they started out, they opened the seed vault in '08. They started uh, accepting seeds, and it was in 2015 that the Syrian civil war uh, was unable to maintain its gene bank, and they made the first ever withdrawal of seeds from the seed vault so they could regenerate their seeds uh, in active collections in uh, Lebanon and Morocco. So that is really, if you think about it, that's really a pretty important thing. Uh, I know I would certainly hate to see a particular type of seed go extinct because we weren't taking care of them. But 1,700 of them. Uh, in 2018, they marked their 10th anniversary and they received shipments over 70,000 crop varieties from 23 depositors. And they now have gotten uh, uh, even Iraq has sent some of their seeds to the vault. And 
uh, 10 years after they built it, they were having a little bit of trouble with it. And uh, so they, they included, uh, they waterproofed the tunnel. They removed any heat sources. Like I said, they need to try to keep it at about zero degrees Fahrenheit. It's really 0.4 degrees for minus 18. So uh, it's, uh, uh, they did some work on it. And it's, uh, oh, it's just, to me, it's just an incredible, incredible thing that the government of Norway did, and then government of Norway did it absolutely free for the world. And uh, now, uh, a couple years ago, they have changed their process a little bit. They figure they can even hold more seeds now uh, that they will allow seeds to be placed in the same box as a previous year's deposit for the first time. And I would have to go back and look a little bit, but I, but I'm pretty sure I remember that they have to, they have to replace them occasionally. You know, uh, I don't think they're going to leave them in there for a thousand years, 500 years, a hundred years. They want to replace them on a regular basis to ensure the viability of them. It's like I was telling you about the MI Gardener guy, Luke, he, uh, a uh, hundred, a hundred uh, year old seeds and got 30% germination rate, but those weren't really taken care of. Those were just in a seed packet. And I've done some web searches for those and you can find all sorts of antique seed packets uh, that were never used, that they printed them, but they never filled them with seeds. Well, I'm like, like Luke, I'm looking for some old seeds that still might have seeds in them, but are, actually ready to 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 try and germinate and i think i'd try and germinate like i do a lot of stuff like a lot of you folks do on a wet paper towel in a ziploc bag and see how that works so anyway check out check out the svalbard seed uh, vault uh, it's an important thing Climate change, whatever you do or don't think about it, war, pestilence, uh, it's neat that they are securing the world's crop diversity for future food and nutrition security. And I just, think it's a, I just think it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And like I said, I'm not sure how my wife would like it, but I would love to visit Svalbard. Uh, not to mention you could just say that it's the farthest north you can fly and land, I mean, outside of on skis at the North Pole or something like that. But, uh, but uh, this place is good for the plant breeders, the scientists. Uh, uh, they use the crop diversity to develop new and more uh, productive varieties that consumers want to eat. Uh, you know, so how, how, can you not, how can you not want to protect our seed, uh, our seed stock? And uh, once again, like we said, if it goes... If it goes extinct, it's extinct. And uh, I know I've read a little bit, too, about some seeds that they found in ancient Egypt, uh, in the area of the Dead Sea Scrolls, that they've actually got them to sprout, which I think is pretty neat. Uh, so we'll, uh, we'll see what happens with this. But, yeah, check out Svalbard. Check out the Life of Seeds. Thank you, folks, for listening, and we'll see you in a month on Growing a Greener Kenai and in two weeks for Larry and David on Movie Classics. So once again, thanks again. We'll see you next time.